0: Man, it's been a good day already. I told Tim, I think we could sing House of the Lord every Sunday to start the service off because there should be joy every single Sunday in the House of the Lord. And I appreciate our team um, doing that song. And did you know this? That is the first time in our church we have ever sang the song, Lord, I Need You. I was going to put out like brand new song we're doing this Sunday, Lord, I Need You. It's only been out for fifteen years, uh, but uh, we've never done that song before. And you're like, "Yes, we have. No, we haven't. We have we have records, and so we've never done that song before." And I'm like, "You know what? We've got that. Just needs to be in there, right? It just needs to be there. We can sing it at the drop of a hat, and it's an easy song. But I'm thankful for that. And I tell you what the 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 lyric where sin runs deep, his grace is more. Just that just that lyric where sin runs deep." His grace is more. It always will be. And I'm thankful for that. That's not the sermon today. That's not the sermon. Today we are in the 17th week of the book of Mark. Uh, The book of Mark, we are in our Dirt Road series, traveling uh, through the book of Mark with Jesus. Mark chapter 6 is where we'll be today. I'm looking forward to this sermon. Today's title is simply Hometown Adversity. Hometown Adversity. Adversity. I don't know if you've ever grown up in a town and then you've left, moved away for a, an amount of time and then you've returned back to that town. Anybody in here, raise your hand. You've done that. You've been, lived somewhere, raise your hand. Lived somewhere, you moved away and you've gone back. Okay. So if you've lived somewhere, moved away and you've come back, when you come back home, you remember home the way it was. We remember everything the way it was. We remember uh, even the the buildings and, and and the restaurants and the different things about our hometown. I, th- I grew up here in Durham, and just the other day we were driving past Catsburg, the Catsburg area, and that old baseball field. And I told my girls, "Hey, I used to play little league baseball there, and now it's all grown up and it looks looks rough around there." They did. I think they did salvage the store. Uh, somebody bought that thing, which is pretty, co- pretty cool. I would love for the Cat's store to be in my backyard. But, uh, but you know, it's just not the way it used to be. Man, every, everywhere you look, they're popping up new buildings here and there. And there's a Marco's Pizza and a Dunkin' Donuts coming right down the street here right before you get to, to, uh, to Panera Bread. Everything changes. You know, you leave somewhere and you come back. And I think the phrase we could just say is it's just not the same. Songs have been written about it. I was gonna play the Eric Church song "Give Me Back My Hometown" today, but the first words are cuss word, so I wasn't gonna play it. Uh, wasn't gonna play it for you this morning. <laughs> but uh, we would start on the second word. But anyway, um, there's I mean, there's country songs written about it. Everybody talking about their hometown. Everybody kind of reminiscing about the way things used to be. And the fact is this: it's never the way it used to be. We spent four years in Baltimore and. We've gone, I've gone back up a few times, and we go back up there, and in just four years, it's amazing the difference that you see in the area. It's just not the same. And Jesus is about to experience that. This is not his first time uh, back to his hometown, I, I believe, but he is going to experience just that. It had been a few days since he had healed the woman who had the blood disease, Um, It had been a few days since he had raised the 12-year-old girl, Jairus' daughter, from the dead. If you remember, Jesus had been doing his ministry near the coast, near the water, because oftentimes he would hop in a boat and go to the other side, or he would come back from that other side. So we know he was doing the majority of his ministry in Capernaum at that time, near the water. But it seems now Jesus and his followers are moving inland more towards his... His home country. No doubt there was physical and mental exhaustion that Jesus was experiencing as he had spent all that time near the water performing miracle after miracle and showing his power to people. He had witnessed people of faith and he had witnessed people of doubt. He had witnessed people believe and he had witnessed people reject. We have seen it already in the first five completed chapters of the book of Mark. In his home country, his own country that we'll talk about today is the city of Nazareth. And while we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it's little pop quiz. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he did much of his ministry in Capernaum. Nazareth was the city where he, where he grew up. The residents didn't know the Jesus of miracles or the Jesus of all the signs and wonders. No, they knew uh, that that Jesus was the carpenter's son. He was Joseph's son. He grew up as a blue-collar worker, a a tradesman. They knew him as the kid who they never, he really never did get in trouble, that kid. They just knew him as, as much of a normal person as Jesus could be known. The people that he grew up with. His hometown, the city of Nazareth. And so it is there that we pick up in Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bibles or an app on your phone, please follow along. If not, it'll be on the screen for you. Mark chapter 6 and verse 1 is where we pick up. Then he went out from there and came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Verse 4, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there, except that he, he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching, Heavenly Father, speak through your word this morning. Teach us, but don't just teach us. Transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I do want to be cognizant of the time this morning um, and get us where we need to be today. I want us to see, first of all, we're going to dive right into our outline this morning. Number one, that he was rejected in his hometown. He was rejected in his hometown. As Jesus shows up in his town, his crew is close behind him, and his crew would be the followers, the 12 disciples the three disciples. It would be the the crew that had been following him for weeks. And no doubt this following had grown in number over the weeks because Jesus continued to perform miracles. He continued to be that guy that was on the scene. He was trending on Twitter back in that day. Um, And and so Jesus was was there. Uh, he uh, he, He was ever present and his following was ever growing. Some were obviously following him, with faithful sincerity, but undoubtedly others were following him with a fault-finding skepticism. Right, I believe that, that many were following him out of a sincere faith, but others were following him because of skepticism. Hey, I'm going to find out what, where this guy goes wrong. I'm going I'm to catch him doing something that he's not supposed to do. Then all of his claims will be, will be taken away. This trip was a little different because Jesus heads to Nazareth, the place where he grew up and Mark, as we know, because we've preached through the book, Mark has yet to record uh, any kind of a, a journey into Nazareth for Jesus. However, and I, I mentioned at the beginning of our series, I'm going to try not to bounce around the Gospels. I'm going to try to let Mark stand on its own. However, for context, in Luke chapter 4, we do find that Jesus has been to Nazareth before. early, Even earlier in his ministry. So in Luke chapter 4, he goes to Nazareth and it did not go well. In fact, his time in Nazareth ended with the people threatening to throw him off a cliff. And I love how the Bible says it this way He saved himself by passing through the middle of them. They were trying to throw him off the cliff, and Jesus passes through the middle of them and escapes in the state. That was the last time that he showed up in his hometown. So Jesus grows up in Nazareth. He begins his earthly ministry. He's healing people. He's preaching grace. He's preaching repentance of sin. He's preaching the gospel to people. He is helping the blind see. He's healing the sick. He is winning people to himself. Many people are believing. Many people are rejecting. He shows up in his hometown the first time in Luke chapter 4, and they try to throw him off a cliff. He comes back now. This is what I believe and most scholars would believe. This is now his second time back to Nazareth. And he had to know that this was once again going to be a conflicting interaction with those who knew him. I believe that Jesus would understand that it's not like the people of Nazareth had a complete change of heart since the time that he went in Luke chapter 4 and now here in Mark chapter 6. Jesus knew. So he begins to teach in the synagogue. You know, as he comes into town, once again, his reputation was preceding him. And they gave him a platform in the synagogue. And as he stands up and teaches in the synagogue, it says the people were astonished. And we have seen people that are astonished at Jesus before. We've seen many people that are astonished by what Jesus says or what he does. And, and these people are astonished as, as were others. But this rendition of the word astonished is a bit different. The context of this verse will show us that this astonishment is more of an amazement from skepticism than it is and amazement from faith. Okay, so look at it this way. These people weren't saying, wow, listen to the teaching of this man in the synagogue. Wow. That was not their astonishment. That would be amazement from faith. They were more like, wow, this guy's back teaching in the synagogue? An amazement from skepticism. Look at the question that, that they ask: Where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him? That such mighty works are performed by his hands. Where did he get this? Who is this? Who does he think he is? This wasn't amazement stemming from faith. This was amazement stemming from skepticism. And certainly with Mark highlighting Jesus as merely, not merely, but as a servant, the people in his hometown would treat him that way and look at him that way as just another guy. They knew that Jesus held no distinguished um, education necessarily. He didn't hold a seminary degree. He hadn't gone to rabbi school and, and gone through the typical uh, process that would have gone through that would have qualified him to come up and teach in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. They knew that, that he was no traditional rabbi. He was a carpenter. He was a common man. He was a blue collar worker. And so they cry out, hey, isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this the son of Mary? They cry out, isn't this the son of Mary? And if we want to give them the benefit of the doubt, perhaps they said this because history records that Joseph had possibly, his, his earthly father, Joseph, had possibly already passed away by this point. Possibly. However, this could also be a cheap shot at the scandal of his birth to a virgin Woman, It could be as if they were taunting him as an illegitimate child born to an adulterer. You see, if you don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus, then Jesus' birth was to a single woman before she was married. And in that day, uh, with no earthly uh, father uh, around or present, she would be outcast and ridiculed, uh, as would Jesus. Needless to say... He was rejected in his hometown. He could not escape his past. Even Jesus. He couldn't escape his past. I've, <clears throat> I can empathize and, and it's, it's, it's been that way some, somewhat with me. I have grew up in Durham and moved away and come back to Durham. And, and I, I understand that. I know what it's like to run into somebody at a restaurant and that person go, I actually changed your diapers when you were two years old. I'm like, Awesome. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to say to that. Uh, (laughs) What what is the proper response? Thank you? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Glad you did? I don't know. But the fact is this, Jesus was rejected. Hey, uh, maniac of Gadara, go back to Decapolis and proclaim all that Jesus has done for you. And it is as if the maniac would go back to Decapolis and they would reject him. That's what happened to Jesus. Of course, it says in Matthew chapter 5 that all men marveled at the maniac. But Jesus goes to his hometown and is not escaping his past. And so we see that he was rejected by his hometown. But let's secondly see in our text that he replied to their hostility. He he replied to their hostility in verse 4. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives, and in his own house. I believe we've all heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. We've heard that phrase. If you haven't, you just heard it today for the first time. Basically, that means the closer you get to someone, the more their flaws and their inconsistencies are made obvious to you. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Have you ever met someone and you're like, this person is pure gold. And then you get to know that person, and like two weeks later, you're like, This person is possibly silver. And then like a month later, you're like, copper? And then you're like, two months later, you're like, they're a bag of rocks. That's all they are. I don't know. They went from gold to a bag of rocks in two months. Anybody ever been that way? The closer you get to somebody, the more you see their flaws and you're like, ugh. And so familiarity breeds contempt. And I think that's something that happens in normal life. But let me be clear this morning. This is not what happened here. We've we've somewhat highlighted in the first part of this message the humanity of Jesus and the fact that he was the carpenter's son and he was just the kid growing up. But let me be clear Jesus is perfect. Everything about him is perfect. And the closer that one gets to Jesus, period, the more perfection they see in him and then possibly the more imperfections they see in themselves. Let me repeat that this morning Jesus is perfect. Everything about him is perfect. And the closer one gets to Jesus, the more of his perfection they see. And so often, the more of their imperfections they see in themselves. You see, familiarity with Jesus doesn't bring contempt. Familiarity with Jesus breeds contentment. But they get closer to Jesus, and it's not that he brings contempt. The contempt that was felt in this moment was truly part of humanity's contempt for itself. They got close with Jesus. They could find no fault in him, and they began to get angry in themselves because they wanted so bad to find fault in Jesus. They wanted to see those imperfections, and all they could see was perfection. Well, surely the closer we are to him, we remember this kid growing up, hey, uh, let me talk to his high school teacher. Did you ever have any issues with him? No. What about his neighbor? Any issues? No. What about his family? Nah, we thought he was crazy a little while ago. You remember, we tried to go get him by the boat. And he wouldn't let us. Other than that, no one could throw a stone at him. No one could throw anything at him that would stick. And so really, the contempt that was being felt here by the people was really a contempt for their sinfulness and his perfection. In this moment, they were faced with C.S. Lewis's trilemma that I often refer to. Shout out to my C.S. Lewis fans. Jesus is either Lord lunatic or liar and here they are doing their best to proclaim him as liar jesus knew that those who had experienced more of his humanity would struggle in fact it is believed that none of his family members uh, professed faith in christ until after the crucifixion think about that that is what is believed What we are witnessing is John chapter 1 and verse 11 in plain sight. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Jesus came to his own people, to those in Nazareth, and they did not receive him. Remember, he was not the perfect, sinless son of God. He was the kid down the street. He was the carpenter. He was the son of Joseph. And Jesus replied to this reality with confirming that coming home, it's not the easiest thing to do. Hey, a prophet is not without honor except in his home country. But I want us to see thirdly this morning that he responds to their unbelief. He responds to their unbelief. Mark chapter six and verse five Sad verses. Now he could do no mighty work there. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Jesus marveled. Marveled at their unbelief. At their lack of faith. Jesus was amazed. He took note it made him pause. The same way Jesus marveled and was amazed at the faith of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, now we see his marvel and amazement at the lack of faith displayed by those in his home country and home city of Nazareth. It's worthy to note that the two times Jesus marvels, one of them is at the lack of faith and one of them is at the abundance of faith. It's interesting to note that Jesus marveled over faith, Whether it be the presence of faith or the lack of faith. And look at his response to their, to their lack of faith this morning. He could do no mighty work there. Now does that mean that Jesus physically could not do mighty works there? I think we know the answer to that. I think we know Jesus can do anything he wants to do, anywhere he wants to do it, any, any way he wants to do it. So it wasn't that he was physically incapable of doing it. I look at it this way. He could could not do miracles there because he would not do miracles there in the face of such blatant unbelief. Think about that statement this morning. He could not do miracles there because he would not do miracles there in the face of such blatant disbelief. We have seen that Jesus responds to simple acts of faith. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times in this series. Jesus responds to simple acts of faith. And these people display uh, a lack of faith. They display blatant unbelief. And so Jesus responds and he would not do miracles. He only healed a certain few there. Those who inevitably demonstrated their faith in him. We don't know the stories of those few but those, those stories were no different than that woman with the blood issue who reached out and touched his garment. Those issues were no different than Jairus saying, i got a 12-year-old daughter who's dying. I need you to come heal her. Certainly there were a few with faith. But overall, Jesus did, did not do great miracles there because he would not do them in the face of blatant unbelief. Tim Keller says it this way. Jesus' miracles were not merely magic tricks designed to show how powerful he was, but were signs of the kingdom to show us how his redemptive power operates. His miracles always healed, restored, and delivered people in ways that revealed how we are to find him by faith and have our lives transformed. You see, Jesus, and you can leave that up there for a second so you can digest it. Jesus didn't just perform miracles As a magic show. This wasn't a carnival. Jesus was performing these miracles to demonstrate how we are to come to Him in faith and how He is to make us whole. And it might be a hand, it might be a foot, it might be a blood disease, it might be blindness that He uses to explain that or show that. But what He is displaying every time is if you'll come to me with your brokenness, I will leave you whole. Does everybody understand that, that, that principle here? Every time someone comes to Jesus for healing, they come broken to be mended. They come wounded to be healed. It is merely a display of the gospel this morning that these people come with whatever their ailment is broken and Jesus makes them whole. And so Jesus does not perform miracles just to, to show off his power, even though every now and then I believe in his earthly ministry, that needed to be the case. But he showed them a pathway to belief. If you come with your fault flaws and your imperfections, and you come today with all your messed up life, Jesus can and will make you whole again. But his ultimate response was to leave Nazareth. And according to the four gospels, He never returns. If you take all four Gospels together, Luke 4 shows that he went one time. We're seeing it here in our text of Mark 6. There's no other recording. And he may have. That's not to say the book of John finishes with the statement there were many other things that Jesus did. If we were to write them all down, we couldn't fit them in scrolls. So he may have. But there's no record. Of Jesus ever coming back to his hometown. Here's a hard truth for us to understand. Jesus' response. To willful rejection. Is to simply. Move on. Listen this morning. Jesus' response. To willful rejection. Is to simply. Move on. Jesus does not force himself. Upon you or anyone else. Jesus' response to willful rejection, okay, I'll go find somebody who accepts me. You want to demonstrate a lack of faith? I'll go find somebody who has faith. What a sobering thought this morning. That Jesus' response to willful rejection is simply to move on. So Jesus' final visit to his hometown is not a positive one. He's aggressively questioned. He's ridiculed. And he's rejected. He is astonished at their unbelief. He's amazed by their unbelief. It honestly could not have gone any worse. But, one T. He did heal a certain few. Everything about this visit to Nazareth was negative. Everything about this visit to Nazareth highlighted their unbelief. But he did heal a certain few. There was a tiny number of needy people who Jesus delivered. These fortunate few experienced the life-giving power of Jesus in a real way. These few that we don't know their names, we don't know their stories this morning, they experienced the same resurrection miracle working power that the woman at the well experienced. They experienced the same power that Lazarus will experience as as Jesus calls him out of the grave. These few, nameless, faceless people experienced Jesus just like the masses of people had experienced him in his earthly ministry in Capernaum. Even while the world is at its darkest, Jesus, the light of the world, will still shine. And it may seem like the whole world is rejecting him. It may seem like that there's nobody here uh, that, that still believes that, there's, that everybody has rejected him. But the truth is, Jesus is still shining this morning. And no matter how bad the culture might seem or how bad things might feel this morning, Jesus is still saving sinners. He's still rescuing the perishing. He's still caring for the dying. He's still healing the broken. He is still healing the disease this morning. And it doesn't matter how dark it looked in Nazareth, there were a few. There were a few. Jesus is still marching forward, even through the adversity. Of his hometown. And so this morning, church family, it may feel like we're in that Nazareth experience in our culture. It feels like everyone's questioning Jesus. It feels like everyone's questioning faith. It feels like that everyone who claims to believe the Bible is archaic and we're so, you know, intolerant and we're so fill in the blank. And it may feel like that the night is the darkest right now, but there are a few, and there always has been a few, and there always will be a few, because broad, broad is the way to destruction, but narrow is the way to life everlasting. There's always a few. And can I just be encouraging to you today that Jesus, all, even though he was fully rejected in Nazareth, still performed miracles in the lives of a few. If I'm not careful, I can focus on the lack of faith of the citizens of Nazareth. But I don't choose to do that today. I choose to focus on the few. Those who demonstrated faith and activated Jesus' healing power in their lives. We don't know what they were healed from. We just know they were healed. They were made whole. And I want to leave you with this finally. Just a point of introspection. I want you to ask yourself this question, or not this specific question, but I want you to think through this in your own heart. What we find in this text is the fact that everyone must make up their own minds about Jesus. The vast majority rejected, but as we just highlighted, a few of them believed. And this morning, may I say, That every single one of us must answer the question, what do you say about Jesus? The question is not, what does culture say? The question today is not, "What, what were you taught? The question is not today, how was your past? The question is not today, do others around you accept him. The question is not today, did your mom and dad raise you in church? The question is not today, did you go to Sunday school like a good little boy and a good little girl? The question is not today, were you emotionally manipulated into praying a prayer and, 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 and nothing ever changed in your life? The question is not today, are you familiar with church Do you know the language? Do you know what to say and when to say it? Do you know when to stand, when to sit? Do you know a couple of the songs that we do? That's not the question today. The question today, individually, Nazareth, we're in Nazareth. individually citizen of Nazareth this morning, what will you do with Jesus? For we will all give an account and I will not give an account for you and you will not give an account for me. But we will all individually give an account. And my question to you is, if we're living in Nazareth, are you one of the multitudes who don't believe? Or are you one of the few? We won't even know your name. The Bible doesn't even record it. But when the question came to those people, who do you say Jesus is? What do you believe about Jesus? Their answer was, I believe. I believe. And so I ask you today, as we highlight Jesus' return to Nazareth, his hometown, back where he grew up, my question to you today, will you be one of the many who don't believe, or will you be one of the few, the nameless, honestly the storyless, If we want to look at, in the grand scheme of scripture, kind of insignificant. I know it sounds harsh, but it's just a passing thought. But they believed. But they believed. So my question to you today, will you be one of the broad way of unbelief that leads to destruction? Or will you today, in your heart, take the step of faith and believe? Believe on the name of the Son of God. Let me tell you something. If today is the day that you take that step of faith and belief in Jesus, if this will be the greatest day of your life. You say, Josh, you don't know me. That's fine. I don't need to know you to know that. The day that you take the step of faith and give your heart to Jesus is the greatest day of your life. To the blind man who couldn't see, the day that he gave his faith and his heart to Jesus was the day he saw. To the lame man who couldn't walk, the day that he put his faith and trust in Jesus was the day he could walk. Listen this morning, if you've been struggling, if you've been thinking, if you've been considering Jesus, I ask you today, what will you do with him? Will you accept him? Will you reject him? Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at KeystoneRDU.Church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.